Welcome to Unbroken Jars. I'm Doug. And I'm Randy. And this is a podcast where we explore individuals, real life stories, and real faith. You're listening to Unbroken Jars, episode 16. A lumberjack and a nurse cut a path for healing. The light of Jesus shines through the darkness, and we carry this light in unbroken jars of clay. We have a life and a story about our faith journey, but we're not struck down or destroyed. Our stories shine the light on Jesus and his power. Our faith walk has forever been shaped by the life of one man, that's Jesus. Jesus continues to use these real life stories of those around us to mold us. We dive into this world by investigating, interviewing, and walking alongside real people who share their stories, their faith stories of struggle, sin, joy, and victory, and how God is leading them will help shape your faith journey in unbroken jars of clay. Today, Miss Iris Warren is joining us. Um, both Randy and I know Miss Iris from our interactions here at Mayfair, and I've been reaching out to Miss Iris for a while, uh, trying to convince her to to come on uh, the podcast here, and and hopes that she would join us. And Miss um, Iris is extremely humble, and um, she wasn't sure if her story was amazing or uh, amazing enough, or um, but. Uh, I assured her that her story was amazing and that um, God continues to use her and the impact in the world for Christ. Um, Miss Iris is a wonderful lady. Um, I'm honored to call her my friend. Uh, Miss Iris, Iris, I want to welcome you to not only this podcast, uh, but I want to just, I'm excited about this time that we have over the next few minutes. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you for your encouragement. Oh. Well, you're welcome. It's it's easy. Uh, it's easy once 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 people get to know you. You're such a quiet and uh, humble person that it's 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 yeah. a blessing once people get to know you. Um, by way of uh, introducing yourself, tell us a little bit about where you grew up and uh, about your family. You're growing up, you know, faith siblings, uh, those type things. I feel like I had just an excellent. Life. I grew up in South Georgia, mm-hmm. uh, 50 miles from Tallahassee, Florida, so way down there. Yeah. Uh, came that's home. where good people are from. This, that, the, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I came home from the hospital to the house that one house, and I lived in it till I was 18, and went oh, away wow. to school. Wow. Same little town, 500 people. Everybody knew everybody. What might be different about my story is. I was Southern Baptist. That was the Baptist Church was the center of our life. Mm-hmm. We were there every time the doors opened. My parents, uh, my father was a rural mail carrier, had a farm, and my mother was a school teacher. Mm-hmm. Had uh, one older sister and a younger brother, so I was that quiet middle child, <laughs> <laughs> shy. Um, but I've had had a, I was very fortunate. I had a good life yeah. growing up. Sounds like it. it I, when you start talking about that, um, it it reminds me of Little House on the Prairie for some reason. <laughs> I, I don't know why. In a town of five hundred, it's a pretty small town. It is, yeah. 
just a few stores and one red light and one caution light on the main highway going through. So, so you grew up there, I'm assuming, you know, um, uh, going to church, being part of a faithful community. Right. Yeah. We were there all the time. And That's good. Anytime it was open. In fact, I remember even as a child, we had revivals at 730 in the morning before school started. Whoa. Oh, the wow. morning service, wow. we would go to that service before we went to school. Holy moly. And my mother, too. Yeah. It was a short, you know, 30-minute service so we could get out. But school was only two or three blocks away. So, wow. Amazing. Yeah. We can't barely get people to come to a short service on one day a week. <laughs> much less. Right. That's how things have changed. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And I was baptized in this little church when yeah. I was nine years old. Oh. But it was for uh, a demonstration of my profession of faith. It yeah. was very clear that was why you didn't have to be baptized. Yeah. So I'll talk later about how I learned different. Sure. Yeah. Never heard of the Church of Christ growing up. <laughs> now, we knew your, kind of fast forward a little bit, we knew your husband, Murray, Brother Murray. Um, Really good man. Uh, can you tell a little bit about uh, to us about Murray as a young man, and from I guess lumberjack to a minister? I think he had right. lots of stories. But how you guys wound up together, met, and wound up together? Well, that's kind of a complicated story, but <laughs> okay, we got time. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he grew up in northern Ontario in the backwoods. He was the oldest boy and the second child of thirteen. Oh wow! And. Uh, when he was, uh, well, he went to school till the eighth grade, and his father became ill, and he had to quit school so that he could go work to support the family. So that's where the lumberjack came in. That's so cool to me. Yeah. I mean, to, I mean, I'm kind of that that redneck, red-blooded guy. So when I hear of a lumberjack, I remember finding out that about Mr. Murray and being like. He was a lumberjack? Right. Yeah. That is so, because that was axe swinging days, probably. Yes, oh, yes. That wasn't. No, no tools. No, like no chainsaw. Been, no. That was like, he was a stud. Yeah. How was, how, what age What age did that happen? I'm sorry, I, I missed yeah, that. Um, he was finished eighth grade. Eighth so grade. So it would have been, what, 12, 13, wow. 13 or 14. Wow. And that's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, but he had to quit school and support the family. And wow. this was, you know, it's hard work, but think yeah. about he talked about 40 below zero i mean that was the temperatures there that he was working in mm, out in the forest <laughs> so that was a difficult thing but his family um, a preacher came to their community i don't know if you want me to go on with that sure now. yeah yeah absolutely and told them about the church they had attended at different churches in their area but really weren't set on one so uh the preacher came, and several of the family was baptized when he, during the years he was a teenager sometime. I don't know exactly what age that he was baptized. And they met in homes, and there were some problems later in the church, and actually his family, um, most of them did not stay with the church, mm -hmm. but he decided he wanted to be a preacher. Mm -hmm. And a preacher told him, you know, that he needed to go to Harding well, here's somebody, you know, he didn't finish but eighth grade. And, yeah. And he's going to Harding. <laughs> but. Um, so how did he get in Harding? Well, this preacher took him and some other men as well uh, when they were ready to go and took them down to, you know, came and got them and drove them down to Harding. <laughs> and he got accepted and he worked his way through. He, he 
you talked about getting up at four in the morning milking cows, and that was how he supported himself at Harding. They had the Harding farm then. So, mm. he, of course, it took him longer. He was 21. He told his parents he was leaving home, that he was going to Harding. His dad wouldn't even say goodbye to him. He said, you'll go down there in one of those big cities in the USA, and you'll get lost, and we'll never hear from you again. Oh, wow. So that was kind of sad that he wouldn't wouldn't talk to him, but he did get back home. <laughs> sure. And later he became a citizen of the U.S. as well. That that was a big, long process, I guess, for him. And he moved around a lot. He After Harding, uh, of course, while he was at Harding, they took him out to preach in different places. And so he had some practice preaching. But I guess he was at Harding five or six years because, of course, he had to make up um, as far as high school to a GED as well. Uh-huh. So he had to take a lot of courses before he could get to his college work. Mm. But um, then he got preaching jobs and preached, oh, I don't know how many states all over, mm-hmm. Arkansas, Tennessee, Iowa, South Dakota, Washington, Oregon, California, Alabama, <laughs> so yeah. Louisiana, so. So he was just like a traveling preacher? No, I mean, or just see, he was that's a lot. just places he yeah, worked. Yeah, he just worked a lot of different yeah. places. Wow, he was quite a bit older than me. So. so he, so he had yet to meet you, and he's yet oh, to yes. he had not preached in, not not preached in Florida, I guess, at all. Either. No, okay. I think. In fact, I think his first trip to Florida may have been with me after we were married. Interesting. Huh. Yeah. So how did y'all wind up meeting and? Well, my. This is another interesting part. My first job, I went to my schooling. I went to Georgia Baptist Hospital. School of Nursing is where I went to school. Mm -hmm. Still staying with the Baptists, you know. Yeah. And my first job was a home missionary for the Baptists. Oh, wow. That took me to New Orleans. There was a home for unwed mothers there, an adoption center. And, of course, OB was my area that I really liked in nursing. So I thought that would be a great place to work. So I went to New Orleans as a home missionary for the Baptists. And then later I left as a Church of Christ preacher's wife. (laughs) (laughs) Very unique. (laughs) So did you go to church? How how did y'all actually? I'm still intrigued by this. Sorry. Right. (laughs) Part of of this faith thing that we're doing here is also the dating. Yeah, we want to hear about how you met and how you date. Well, that's... It's, it's intriguing. It's a God, it has to be a God thing the way we got together because here I'm a Baptist, never heard of the Church of Christ. He's, he's gone to Harding already. Then he went to Harding Graduate School. Well, he realized as he preached the questions he was getting, he knew he needed counseling skills. Absolutely. So Harding did not have it at the time, and he looked around and found that the New Orleans Baptist Seminary had counseling with religious emphasis. Mm-hmm. Amazing. So I was going to First Baptist Church, and Sarah had many friends that were students out at the seminary. And so we met that way. One of my roommates was dating one of the professors, and we got together, and that's when I, I guess I first met him in 1969. But I found recently a diary that said on that date, and I don't remember what the date was, but he said, I'm, I met uh, a new new person tonight, Murray Warren, but he was really funny, but he's too old for me. 
Well, that was the last. You know, I thought no more. I didn't date him any times. But about a year later, I guess, you know, I was praying for a mate because I was 25 and I was still not dating anybody seriously. And he called me up. And we started dating. And so we met through these friends from the Baptist Seminary, brought us together. Well, then he was preaching at a small church down in Thibodeau, Louisiana. So he invited me to go. I went every other uh, Sunday with him to preach. And so I would hear him Sunday morning and Sunday night. Yeah. And I would ask all these questions. You know, one of the big differences was the music. Sure. And I really missed that. I still remember that first Sunday. Oh, it sounded so terrible to me. <laughs> <laughs> there were not many people there, and the voices didn't sound very great. And I, right. was, I was used to the piano and the organ yeah. to cover those mistakes. Yes. <laughs> but anyway, I'd ask questions, and he was so good to answer them. Sure. Never, never pushed me at all. He would just answer whatever questions I happened to ask him. And... Um, then I would go home and study, and particularly, I guess, baptism. I still remember going home one day because I kept hearing baptized for remission of sins. And I took a concordance, and I went through my Bible and looked up all the references. And, of course, most all of them said for remission of sins. And, of course, I, that emphasis was not in the Baptist church, so I had not picked up on it. So I guess about a year later, we had, we had dated for a year often and had talked about marriage but no specific proposal so you know i we hadn't talked about when or where i was uh, i was working full-time then by that time i had well i had said originally you know i would never be a teacher my mother was a teacher and I, i'm never going to be a teacher right well, after I got to New Orleans, I decided I needed to get a bachelor's degree in nursing, and after that, I decided to teach nursing, <laughs> <laughs> wow. nursing at Charity Hospital, and then I was teaching at LSU Nursing School, mm -hmm. and that's we were uh, married uh, just before I started teaching at LSU. But his uh, proposal came just about a week or two after I was baptized. So much later, I realized that he probably was not going to ask me to marry him <laughs> till I was baptized. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm, I'm just so thankful I never felt any pressure. I mean, it wasn't like he would, and maybe some people think he should have, but I don't think I would have been pleased if he had pushed me, yeah. you know, sure. to that or if I had known that. Yeah. And, of course, I never really asked him, were you waiting <laughs> <laughs> for that time? He's he was such a gentle man. Yeah. Anyway, from what I knew of him, he was always so kind. So I could see him being that way. Yeah. Uh, gentle and patient. Yeah, and very um, always sending me flowers, writing poetry. He was a, quite oh, a poet. Wow. Really. Yeah, and he wrote a lot of poetry. Of course. You know, this is the full rounded man, right? The lumberjack. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the lumberjack that writes poetry. That's a counselor. Yes. Like he's like. Yeah. He's like a, a, a man's man. Well, so y'all got married after the proposal, I'm assuming. Right. About six weeks later, after my baptism, we were yeah. married. Huh? So, wow. Hey, no reason yeah. to wait once yeah, you're, right. once you're uh, engaged. Because we had dated that long already. It had been about a year that we had dated. And we stayed in New Orleans uh, for a year after that. I talked. 
I had taught one year, I guess, at LSU before that, and then I taught one year after we were married at UA at LSU. Mm -hmm. And then um, we by then I decided that nursing teaching was what I wanted for a career, and went to UAB to get a master's, and then from there we looked for a place to come, and we came to Huntsville. Huh. Because and the church was strong here. Sure. And we had spent a year in Birmingham, and of course. Uh, uh, church was pretty strong there too, but uh, he figured he could do his counseling anywhere. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, children eventually came along in that process. Right. How many children do you have? Could you tell us a little bit about uh, them we when they two, were born? Yeah. We have two children. Teddy, our son, was born three years after we got married. Mm -hmm. And then we we had hoped to have four children, and we prayed and prayed for that second one that didn't come for nine years. Mm. And that was our April that we had waited so long for. Yeah. And when I was writing notes, I wrote down, and little we knew how 22 years later we would be praying that she would live. Right. Mm. Because of the cancer that came at that age. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit uh, about April? That's one of my questions here was, you know, April got some news when she was 22. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that news that she received and then kind of the shock wave or, or what y'all experienced around that? Well, uh, April graduated from MA and went to Harding, graduated in May of 2005, uh, married in July of that same year, and then in the fall of that year she started to have some symptoms. Uh, difficulty swallowing was one of the main ones and some nausea. She didn't want to go to the doctor then because her husband's insurance didn't click in until January. He was on a new job. She was covered by my COBRA still, mm -hmm. but she said, no, I'm going to wait till his insurance clicks in in case there's something that doesn't want to switch over in the insurance business. So. She waited till January. She was misdiagnosed by a GI doctor here in town. They told her she had reflux. And it, two months later, she was just getting worse every day. And on March the 30th of 2006, she was diagnosed with stage four esophageal cancer. Mm -hmm. And it was a terrible time. By that time, she was just nauseated and throwing up everything that she ate all the time. And they said we, we went to a specialist in Birmingham that um, said, you know, she needed radiation and chemo, and then maybe that would shrink the tumors enough that they could do surgery, that he could. So she had six weeks of radiation and chemo, which was really a terrible time. She still had extreme nausea all the time, very weak. Um, of course, radiation is every day. And at this point, I'll just mention that the home builders were such a help here at Mayfair. They were a member of that class. Mm -hmm. And they took her to, some of them helped take her to the radiation, which was every day. And they were there to help at the house, help with lawn work, just did so many things for she and Brandon at that time. Mm -hmm. So that was really, uh, really a big help. Um, let me go back just a little bit too. She had uh, at Harding. She had majored in Spanish, and 
then she came back and she decided that she was also going to do nursing because she wanted to do mission trips with Mayfair, and she thought that combination of nursing and Spanish would go together real well. Yeah. yeah. So she had started um, nursing at UAH that fall after she married, as well as she'd just been married. So I thought perhaps when she started having these symptoms, it was a lot of stress. Nursing school is stressful. Oh, yeah. And a new marriage as well. Oh, yeah, sure. So I thought maybe that was it, although I kept encouraging her. I remember saying, April, one of the seven danger signs of cancer is inability to swallow, difficulty mm -hmm. swallowing. But she still waited till January, and it probably wouldn't have made any difference because this kind of cancer, it frequently, you don't know it till it's too late. Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, just an aside there, I, I did teach her one course of nursing <laughs> while she was at UAH. Um, it was still... Ethic, nursing ethics that I taught her. Mm -hmm. But she got through, I think, one semester before she was too sick to go on with that program. And how long did she go through those treatments? And uh, The treatments actually lasted about six weeks. Then they mm -hmm. did a scan and said um, she, they thought they could do the surgery. So we went down to Birmingham in July, which actually the surgery was scheduled the day after their first wedding anniversary in Birmingham mm. but it turned out they just it was an open and close it had spread in so many different directions they couldn't mm. they couldn't do the surgery so again a great disappointment we had you know there were so many prayers going up and we had a lot of faith we felt like when they said things had shrunk and they were going to take her for surgery we were very encouraged sure. and it was real downer to to learn and I still remember the doctor saying when he came out of surgery and we knew he called us back in way too quick I mean it was supposed to be four hours and 30 minutes he called us back and I still remember him saying you know the the prognosis and he kind of shook his head but she is and it, he never said anything but she's just so young and I didn't understand that at the time because it seemed to me that a young person should have a better prognosis than an older one. Mm -hmm. But it turns out the bottom line is that the cells are multiplying quicker in young people and so the cancer can grow faster. Huh. And so literally, you know, it was just not a lot of hope. They did do some chemo after she came back, I think in August and September. And I still recall when she went to the oncologist in October sometime, her question to him was, um, will I, if I keep taking chemo, will it shrink and may, will I be able to go back and have the surgery? Well, I knew that wasn't a possibility and I had no idea that she thought that. Mm. But anyway, when she realized that, then she said, well, there's no need to keep on with the chemo. So mm. she knew then this was the end. Mm. And then she lived until November the 7th, 2006. How old was she? 23. 23. She turned 23 in August. So it was less than a year that all of this happened. Wow. And of course, it had happened to me so rapidly that, you know, things just went so fast from her... She graduated, got married, got sick, you know, dismissed, you know, di this diagnosis, all this treatment, 
going to have surgery. Was there was something to look up to until then? Yeah. And then it, you know, it was just wait because hospice came in and she didn't live. But probably three weeks after that decision was made. Oh man. Uh, we we appreciate you sharing. I know it's difficult to share this uh, story, but you know if it's okay, I want to ask you how did that. How did going through the loss of your daughter, it had to impact your faith? Uh, you talk about prayers were being made on her on a daily basis, and uh, I know it could be really easy to probably blame God for what was going on, be angry. Uh, maybe would you mind sharing some of those emotions, and maybe that didn't happen until after she passed. Like you said, it was just a continuous well, it whirlwind. Was, yeah, we, there was always still that hope and still believing as long as she was alive. Right. And then when she was gone, in fact, even this was a statement she made, she was very worried at the end that people, people of faith that had been praying for her would not believe in God anymore because she wasn't going to get well. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah, she worried about that. Mm. So, I, you know, I, I just couldn't blame God. He carried us through. But I was, I think I was in shock to start with. But it was just... You know, just very depressing. I cried a lot uh, every day, probably many times a day, because losing a child is it's just indescribable. It's just yeah. not supposed to be. You know, yeah. it's you expect to lose other people, older people, but not your children. So I just prayed a lot and studied the Bible a lot and tried to have faith and I remember studying a lot about heaven that seemed to be reassuring to me I wanted to know everything I could find out about heaven after that after April died so mm-hmm. that was some source of comfort to me and of course the prayers uh, I was fortunate enough to have a bereaved parent group that hospice was responsible for and the leader of that group was a member of the church mm-hmm. And I attended that group um, for actually for several years, and that was a great, great sense of support to me. Yeah, and let me get my perspective too, Murray. How he was going through this with you as well? Did how did did it impact him differently or? The same, did did y'all kind of, I'm sure you had to lean into each other a little bit on this too. We did, but he did not talk a lot about it. Mm. He was was more quiet about it, as a lot of times men are. You're right. Yeah, they just just don't react the same. I still remember somebody telling me, and and I did not see this because I was in tears. At the graveside service, somebody told me that he was crying, Mm. but I don't recall ever seeing him cry. But he certainly supported me through many tears. And we'd talk about her and remember together and talk mm. about seeing her again someday. But yeah. yeah. I can't I can't even imagine, you know, I, I know um, in Grief Share we were kind of talking about how you would, you and he would go and visit her grave. Yeah. Um, and just, just the even thought of that. I know there'll be people listening right now that'll probably be in tears just thinking about their own children, imagining what you may have been going through. Yeah, yeah like I was telling the grief group, we did, you know, we just got in the habit of going by the cemetery. It was kind of on the way home from church on Sunday. So we'd drive through. I mean, we weren't, um, 
Well, I did cry sometimes, and I did talk sometimes. I know she wasn't there, but I would talk to her. Usually, he would not get out of the car that much because of his health. He would just sit in the car and look, but it just got to be a habit to mm -hmm. go by there. Wow. So you go from um, this really unique marriage excitement after nine years of not having a child um, right. to having a child. Well, not having April. We right. had Teddy. Right. Now, yeah, you had Teddy, him yeah. first, but you had that yeah. nine-year gap. Right. So you've got this like little angel surprise almost child, right? Yes. After nine years and then after 23 you look up and you've lost her. So now, processing through that and dealing with that in life, that was about 15 years ago? Is yes, that accurate? you're right. November uh, will be 15. About 15. B because I came into the you Home were, Builders class. You were part of that. Yeah, well, remember. right as all this was going on is when we moved in, um, literally. Um, and so we joined in with some of the work that was going on, but... It was always uh, a special thing for us to be a part of. But in June of 2019, now fast forward a, a little bit of time, you lost Murray. Right. Um, how long had y'all been married when, when he passed away? 48 years almost. Wow. Like two months. In fact, this last Saturday would have been 50 years for us. Wow. Mm. Um, it seems like a lot of loss. How do you how do you deal with with loss like that, and how do you manage to keep moving forward? How does how does your faith kind of take you forward in that? Well, it was really, really, really hard. You know, I don't have any family here, and it was I had been a caregiver for him for in a lot of ways for four probably four years. Right, yeah. So I knew. my life had been kind of wrapped up in that care. And So what do I do now? Here I am by myself, nothing, you know. So it was, a, it was a challenge. And I still remember my first time back at church, how difficult that was. You know, I couldn't. I went to sit close to where we used to sit, and that was a disaster because I looked back behind where, he, where we used to sit and was in tears right there mm. at oh, church. Oh, sure. So then I moved somewhere else and somewhere else because that was, you know, we were always sitting together in church. He always reached out and held my hand during prayers. That was always what he did. Held the songbook always. So it was just a whole other life to, to adjust to, and it was a, a terrible loss. But why, where I found help was reaching people reaching out to me that were also widows. And, mm -hmm bringing me into their group. Mm. I still remember I sat down one Sunday by myself. Well, I was sitting by myself every Sunday. And Joyce Hall and Linda Parker mm -hmm. said, come sit with us. Well, from then on, I've sat with them. Uh -huh. And they kind of took me in, and then we'd go out to lunch. And that that was a really big help to me. So I, I highly recommend it people find somebody with similar losses. I found that with April as well as with Murray, finding a similar loss to um, help you through those times. And of course, you know, reading the Bible for comfort and thinking about the future 
you know, knowing that one day we'll see him again. Mm-hmm. So. You know, I, I think you make a really good point here, and it's not just about a loss of a loved one, but probably in general that, you know, God has set us up to live in community. Yes. And, and it's strange that it takes sometimes losing a loved one for us to practice community the way God intended us to do it in a way that um, it's very personal and intimate and literally sharing that that life with each other in a deep and personal way and allowing our faith to kind of carry us through those things together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like you've explained that really well, especially with, I can't imagine, you know, one, losing a child, but you have your mate there processing with you, right? Exactly. And that's part of your stability in that process. And then how old was Murray when he passed away? 93 and a half. See, again, he was just such a stud to me. I, I, because I do remember when he fell and I came up to the hospital and I, I saw you. He yes. broke his hip. Right. Um, and <laughs> I, he was just sitting there. He was just chatting it up with me. I mean, he... <laughs> He was so tough. I was like, "Man, I get a scratch, and I'm, I'm." But he broke his hips. Yeah, I think I kind of broke my hip. I, and he's just sitting there talking to me like this, and right. And and he lived, you know, a while after that. But um, he was such an impressive man, and I know that he was your rock as well. He was. And you were able to walk alongside of him in faith. Right. And uh, y'all's story and he had is so strong. He had such a strong faith. Yeah. Never, never failed in it. Never seemed down. Always strong in his faith. Yeah. And he had some tough times, more than just growing up. I mean, sure. he's had some tough times in his life. So. Absolutely. Well, that's uh, that's, <laughs> that's pretty cool. I might might interject here a little bit. We uh, we've had a group that's been meeting here, grief share uh, support group for those who've lost loved ones and. Yes, right before COVID, Miss Iris came right after maybe Murray had passed away and joined, I guess, the second session of that of that group. But unfortunately, the classes were cut short because of COVID. But ever since then, we've had, I can't remember now, is this the third series we've done with this group or fourth now? Maybe? This is the fourth now. Fourth. Yeah. Miss Iris has been helping us as not only a participant, but a supporter of that ministry That's in right. a lot of ways to people who have lost loved ones. She has such a, a gift. Uh, I think to to speak into those people that are in that room uh, to what they're hurt and and to say things in, in such a way that it's uh, it's just uh, I don't know it's, like I say it's a gift it's, yeah. I think a sort of encouragement to those that are there but um, she's been a rock to us in that grief share ministry that Doug and I are, are privileged to work with but Miss um, Iris I was just going to ask if you had a if you had a final word of advice to give those listening who may be experiencing uh, difficulty or loss in their own life right now. I mean, there are listeners that are listening that may be going some of, through some of the same type of things right now that you've, you've, you've spoken into. What advice would you give them if you could just maybe share something with them right now? Well, depend on, you know, don't, don't isolate, you know, it's my opinion. Find somebody that's in a similar situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, get Become active when you're able to doing something for other people and to get out so that you're not alone. Um, read your Bible, pray. But I think 
community is so important. I think you need to find other people that are in a similar situation and then become active. You know, I've gotten more active in things at church since I'm not a, no longer the caregiver. I, as I said, it was such a shock to have all this time on my hands. Yeah. And then six months after he died, COVID came along, and I'm supposed to be stuck in the house by myself 24-7. You know, that was pretty bad, too. Yeah. So I, I pretty pretty quickly learned that that wasn't going to work for me. I had to get right. out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. you know, helping with the grief share, of course, it helps me. But I know how much support groups meant to me in both of my losses. So I would recommend those to people that are in these difficult times. Yeah. Hi. Miss um, Iris, I... You know, I've told you this. This is no secret, but I I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. Amen. And, wow. Amen. And I, you're so kind. And I know you say you're so kind, but that is, and that's part of who you are. I really mean it. Uh, even last night I was watching, and we were in a grief share group, and one of the ladies was sharing, and you just put your hand up on her shoulder and and loved her, and then you spoke some words to her, which I won't talk about what we talked about in there, but you spoke some words to her that only you could that only your unique situation spoke directly to her pain. And I, I think that's how God uses us. Yeah. Like he uses these stories in life where we experience life, pain, struggles, um, good things, bad things, and he uses them to glorify the work that he's doing through right. us, in us, um, in spite of us, exactly. Um, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate you, and, and specifically what you're doing with that grief share. But I, I mean, even this morning, another lady walked through. You don't even know this. I hadn't even told you this, but a lady walked through the door carrying something, coming in to another different ministry, and I, and I was waiting out there, waiting for you to arrive, and and. She said, well, I'm, you know, I, I was going to come, and I was going she's lost her husband. She was going to come and, and, and help out with the grief share. And I said, well, you know, Miss Iris has been helping, and she just said, she's meant so much to me. Oh. She's meant so much to me. She was so good at reaching out to me, texting me, and emailing me. And I just want you to know, and, and for those listening, but I want you to know, I appreciate that you let God use you. Mm -hmm. Amen. And, and it's in and through the pain that you've experienced, but it's your willingness to reach out. It's your willingness to listen to the Spirit and to go forward with the urgings of the Spirit and the counsel and, and allow Him to use you. Well, I want people to know I would be happy for anybody to call me anytime if I can help in any way. Appreciate that. Um, well, um, let me let me just say a prayer. I want to say a prayer of thankfulness over you and and a blessing over you. And uh, I I've told you this outside of this setting, but I do appreciate who you are. Uh, I think Randy and I one of the things when we prepare for grief share stuff, we're like, is Miss Iris going to be there? <laughs> because because you you are a rock that that really helps direct people and find comfort in Jesus. So let me just say a prayer. Um, and then we'll wrap up. Thank you, God, for uh, this time. Father, I pray that those listening um, 
will hear your vo- hear your voice through the words that Miss Iris spoke and kindness and gentleness and self-control and the love that she has because of you. Um, I pray that you continue to use her and uh, use all of us. Father, I pray that we all realize that we all have a story in some way and that in that story um, we bring joy and we bring light to other people's lives. Uh, Father, we just ask... Uh, that your presence uh, continue to be over Miss Iris and that you'll continue to bless the work that you have called her into because of the life experiences that are unfortunate but that she's experienced and are using for your glory. It's through Jesus I pray this prayer. Amen. 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 I want to I wanna thank, uh, thank you for joining us today and uh, your true light and a blessing not only to those who get to listen to this podcast, but also to the people that come in contact with you daily. So uh, thank you so much for taking the time today to be a part of this. If there's one thing I've learned from doing this podcast so far, it's that no matter what road we, we've traveled, God has the ability to take the story, our story, and make it in a story that shines a light back on Jesus. And it's our hope that the people listening to this will find confidence in knowing that God can and will use your story if you're willing to share it. We'd appreciate your comments and feedback on Unbroken Jars podcast. You can leave those comments and feedback at unbrokenjars at gmail.com. Please understand that our goal is always to honor God by the experience of real life stories and real faith you hear on this podcast. May God bless your life as you live out your story of real faith in your own settings.